Welcome to Bulls Gold on Nothing But Net Radio, part of Dash Radio. I'm Salim Sutterwala, and as always, I'm joined by Edward Shuley Jr. How are you doing, Edward? How's your uh, morning? Hey, it's a busy morning, uh, but I, last night, the Bulls officially eliminated from uh, making the playoffs. So uh, I feel like I feel like that was kind of weird because we we went back and forth with like, ah, maybe there's a chance, maybe there isn't. And like they, they kind of extended it because like our last show, we were we thought they were dead in the water, but they actually had a chance. So it, it went a little further than I think we both anticipated. But now this official, we're not going to make the playoffs. So all eyes now are on the draft lottery and seeing if the Bulls actually are going to get this pick or not. But other than that, I'm doing all right. How about you? Not bad, not bad. You know, it's funny we talk about we're going back and forth, but I, I remember starting start of the season before the season started actually when we were doing our predictions and we said like i in particular said like i would be pretty satisfied if the season ended where the bulls won about 30 31 games they've uh you know were competitive in a sense that they were competing for that 10 spot which they were uh and then i i figured like teams like the wizards the hornets the hawks the pacers you know, some of these teams that are ahead of us, I figured that was, I said, you know, I figured these teams will be ahead of us. Fast forward today, like, I'm disappointed a little bit. <laughs> it's like, I shouldn't be because that's so, that was kind of my prediction uh, to start the season. But today when we're, we're talking, it's like, you know, it's kind of disappointing, obviously, because of all the different variables that ended up happening. Yeah, all things considered, I don't think the season, like granted, the second half of the season, right, was really, really tough. But at one point, we were talking about how this season was an overwhelming success because God, like, we were playing a style of basketball that made sense. Zach Levine was playing, well, has been playing at an elite level. And we've seen some encouraging signs from Patrick Williams. Kobe White recently has turned it up. So, like, the season has been tough, but overall, I do think that we can say that it, the season wasn't a complete train wreck. Like it wasn't last season, right? <laughs> yeah, correct. It wasn't last season, and I, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm a little more optimistic about the off season uh, as far as what the team could potentially do. I think they're probably positioned a little better as uh, opposed to what they were before the trade. That happened with for uh, for Vucevic, so we'll we'll see. You know at how, how AK approaches this, especially if they get lucky, obviously with the lottery. Uh, but yeah, you know some of these teams, like I said, we talked about with that are ahead of us in the playoffs. One of them in particular is interesting. They had an interesting and probably frustrating year, if you ask their fans. Uh, the Indiana Pacers, they kind of had a lot. Again, they always deal with injuries. Uh, in the past, they've probably dealt with injuries a little better, which one I was always surprised personally as uh, as a Bulls fan because obviously Bulls always deal with injuries, and then they not only being a young team, but they would always have that excuse. Well, you know, we never really saw what this roster could do, and you know that's excuses for the games that you lose. But the Pacers, even with their injuries, they would find a way to win and find a way to be right in the thick of like that fourth fifth seed 
uh, in the playoffs. But this year, it's been quite different, not only, like I said, with injuries, but they've had some turmoil uh, as the season winds up. But yeah, let, let's bring our guest in. Uh, he covers the Pacers for the Indy Corn. And he also is uh, the co-founder of Premium Hoops. Uh, Mark Schindler is joining us today. Mark, how are you doing today? Thank you so much for joining us. I'm really good. Thank you guys for having me. I'm uh, I'm psyched to be on on this Saturday morning. It's a it's a nice day out, and the uh, the Pacers play today. Uh, potentially, I mean, it's game what seventy one, which is wild to think about. Um, yeah, the, I think you uh, you summed it up pretty well, man. This year has been uh, it has been a year. Uh, and I feel like for a lot of teams, uh, it's felt like each year's kind of, uh, I mean, their year has been kind of segmented. I felt that with the Bulls this year and, and, and watching them because I try and keep up with every team pretty well. And um, But yeah, this this Pacers team has uh, has kind of been through the ringer this year for, for a multitude of reasons that I'm sure we're going to get into. Yeah, 100%. So the biggest story, well, there's been a lot of storylines this year for the Pacers, I feel like. You know, I almost forgot about the uh, Victor Oladipo trade. I know, right? It just it just oddly feels like did it happen last season? Like you know, like you kind of yeah. don't think about it. Uh, but obviously, that happened. Uh, there was obviously the last season when him jokingly talking about can I be on your team or something like that. With every time they would play an opponent, but then they obviously got traded this year, and I thought the package was not bad considering the situation that how they traded him, how he was essentially, you know, a guy that would walk in free agency. They got a decent player in Karis LeVert and obviously then Karis LeVert had an undisclosed uh, situation that was very scary. Uh, But luckily he was, he was able to uh, come back from that. And then, like I said, just injuries, there's various injuries. I know there was like times when the bulls played them, they were without both Sabonis, Brogdon, uh, and then a couple of other guys in the rotation. Uh, how how have the injuries affected them this season compared to past seasons where they were able to handle those injuries a little better? Yeah. So um, what made this year really tough injury wise is, I mean, they started off really well. They were eight and four before they traded Victor. Uh, they were starting to grab some national attention uh it's kind of problematic every time it feels like every time the Pacers start to garner national attention uh things just kind of fall apart um I actually I mean just in looking at the trade package I think it was as good as they were going to get um Karras is a fantastic young player I don't think that he's close to what Victor was at at his peak I I know some people have thought that I am not of that opinion Karras has been on fire lately but I I just I mean Victor was a top 10 player just about in 2017-18 so I'm not there yet but uh just in in the fact that Victor was pretty I mean the front office was willing to move on so early because they were they were pretty certain that he was going to leave in free agency so when you know a guy's going to leave like that uh to get back a, a young player who's on a you know, fairly team. I, I don't like saying team friendly deal, but like, I mean, you know what I mean? Like he's, I think 18 million for the next two or three years. Um, he's a little bit younger and he can bring some of what Victor did as well as like a pull-up shooter and, and, and as a playmaker too, not as much defensively, but um, so I really like that. But the thing with the injuries and looking at that, you go from having Victor who was playing at like a sub all-star level in Indiana. Those are the best he'd looked since he'd been injured. Um and then you go from him to having Karis is, I mean, he has cancer, so he's out for almost two months. 
So you replace Victor with nobody for that time. And that totally, totally sunk the team. You start seeing, I mean, Malcolm and Domas start getting played like 40 minutes a game, which was something I was harping on early because I was uh, automatically, I mean, Domas was coming off of plantar fasciitis in the off season, which is not something you want to aggravate. Um, Malcolm has just always been a pretty injury prone guy. So playing him that, that high of a minutes load was a question for me right away. Uh, I mean, the, the third quarter net rating would be completely juiced and then they would completely fall apart in the fourth quarter because they're gassed. I mean, they would play the entire third quarter, but point being, I mean, TJ Warren was out for the year as well He played four games and then, uh, has not played since then. And it was finally announced that he wasn't going to play anymore. This, uh, there was like no chance of playing this year. Um, that's what really did it in. Cause it's always been, you know, one guy who gets injured, like Victor in 1819 gets injured. Um, obviously Victor misses most of 1920. Um, so the team's used to maybe not having one guy, but this year they were always, it, it just felt like there were always two or three guys out. Like Malcolm was missing time. Domas would miss some games missing miles Turner for it's, I think it's been 14 games now, um, has been excuse me, absolutely killer. Um, and that's just been the story of the season. There's always like two or three guys that are key to the rotation out. And it's, uh, it, it's just hard to counteract that when so much of what you're doing relies on having everyone together. Cause they're a team when they don't have a quote unquote superstar, um, they rely a lot more on having everyone together than just being able to thrive off of like, I mean, even if Brooklyn's missing um, Kyrie or Kevin Durant, James Harden's there. So it's like, you know, it completely changes things. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of been the story this year, just a lot of inconsistency and not being able to handle injuries too well. What would you say about the coaching change that they made for this season, especially when you look at how Nate McMillan, I, I think at the time, a lot of people were kind of taken back by getting rid of Nate McMillan. And for Bulls fans, I, I feel like there's almost a parallel between how the Bulls got rid of Tom Thibodeau. Well, maybe not how, but the Bulls getting rid of Tom Thibodeau and the Pacers getting rid of Nate McMillan. Nate McMillan, uh, pretty successful during his time in Indiana. So getting rid of him uh, definitely was a surprise. So I, how, did that foreshadow, I, I know injuries play a role for sure, but did that foreshadow anything that came out of this season in your opinion? Yeah, that's a great question, man. I, uh, you know, in coming into this year, uh, I mean, Nate McMillan gets extended right before the playoffs happen and then fired three weeks later uh, as two or three weeks. I can't remember. It felt like a lot longer than it probably was. Um, I was very much so of the camp that Nate McMillan shouldn't be fired uh, until more stuff came out that there were issues with the locker room. Uh, you know, Malcolm Brogdon was one of the guys who was vocally, uh, wanting to move on from, from, from Nate McMillan. And part of it too, was just Nate McMillan had talked about, um, you know, I think it was at the beginning of the year, he said, you know, this year I have to, I have to get out of the first round. Otherwise I don't know if I'm the guy for the job, not in those exact words, but like close enough to that. Um, so I do think there's a, an extent to saying that part of it, you know, it, his tenure ran its course. I mean, it's just hard for uh, like, there are very few coaches I think who can actually maintain a job for, as long as he did and not lose the locker room to an extent. Um, it's just like, I mean, you guys know from like playing ball or, or any sport really like um, sometimes you just need a change of perspective and opinion, but I guess I would say uh, just given what Nate brought as a coach um, 
I mean, the, the Pacers were one of the most consistent teams in the NBA for the last four or five years while he was there. Um, and I'd say that's in large part due to how he prepared them. Uh, I mean, we're seeing that with Atlanta now. They come out prepared for every single game. And I think you can bring up questions of what that means for the playoffs because they treat every single regular season game like a playoff game. So then they're so good at plan A, there really isn't a plan B. At least that's how it felt in the playoffs at times. I think sometimes we negate like the roster just wasn't always great when he got to the playoffs. Uh, I think sometimes the injuries got overhyped, but like the series against Boston, I mean, they had nothing for that Boston team. I don't know what, what anybody expected from them. I think getting swept in as close of a fashion as they did was pretty like impressive is the wrong way to put it. But like, I mean, when Bojan Bogdanovich is your best shot creator, um, you're going to struggle. And the fact that they even had those games close was kind of, impressive to me um the heat series was not good though I, I do think that they could have taken one or two games off the heat but point being i don't um i mean if there wasn't locker room stuff i don't think that he, he deserved to get fired um and i could have foreseen having him around for another year uh so i came into this year expecting the team to probably take a step back and i know a lot of fans thought that they were just going to immediately step up but something that gets lost in the sauce often is like when, uh, you know, I mean, I think the Bulls saw this when when Fred Hoiberg came in, like there was this idea that the offense was going to be great and the defense would stay the same. And I think people have that idea with Nate Bjorkren. And I automatically questioned that. I was like, you know, Dan Burke is gone, uh, who's been the defensive coordinator since I was but before I was born, you know, um, and Nate McMillan is a really good defensive coach. So I don't know anything about Nate Bjorkren when he's coming in. So, you know, you're going from being the. Um, you know, a top five defense for two straight years to not knowing who, like what your defense is going to look like. Um, so I was already unsure if that would carry over. And it, I mean, the offense has been better this year, to be fair. Um, the, the offensive rating doesn't reflect that, but a lot of that, in my opinion, you know, it's a lot more process over results. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the defense has just taken a major hit because they completely shifted everything that they were doing. And it is uh, not for the better. Um I mean, you see a lot of the inconsistencies of a young coach and we'll talk more about that. Um, but yeah, it's uh, going from doing things consistently to trying to test out new things. I mean, that's going to result in, in more losses. Uh, I think just not quite in the way that I, uh, I envisioned this year. I know it was a really long answer, but it's just kind of where I'm at on it. No, that's, that's a really good answer. Actually. Uh, you know, looking at the offense, I was, I was curious to see when, when I was just like looking at how, they improved if they improved oddly they did improve a little bit uh this season compared to last season even with all the injuries they had uh, and i remember as edward said i was surprised when they fired nate mcmillan too and i was like you know what what did what did anyone expect this roster to do at the peak level obviously i, I like indy's roster they they i've always said indiana does pretty well as far as maximizing uh, whatever they can potential wise with whatever they have. Like you have a guy like Sabonis who's a very good, an all-star caliber, a uh, big, and then you obviously have uh, guys like Brogdon, Brogdon who are borderline all-stars, obviously Oladipo being in and out of the lineup. It's unfortunate. He was like one of the better two-way players when healthy and or legit all-star. And I felt like, you know, even, even if you have all those guys healthy at once and best, maybe you're a second round team just because just the other teams are in, in, in the East to have superstars compared to when you have you know, good, really good players, but not really superstars you can only go so far. Um, 
And I was reading uh, Caitlin Cooper, one of her articles, and she mentioned like an offense was a big issue and why uh, a lot of times they get stagnant in the playoffs and there was not a lot of movement, uh, not a lot of, you know, innovation as far as maybe you know, out of timeouts. Um, how have you seen, and even, even like I said, with the injuries, what are the subtle differences maybe have you seen in the offense this year compared to last yeah. Um, so I, I mean, <laughs> I, I used to coin the offense last year's the driver die offense um, because it was very much so um, drive to the rim. And if you can get a kick out, awesome. If you can't, that's uh, you're going to isolate. And that's pretty much about it. Um, there was n- like very little second side action that would ever happen. Um, and now, I mean, that's a routine thing in the offense. Now there's a ton of intuitive cutting that goes on. Uh, it's very heavily motion principled. Um, a lot of just trying to kick the ball around, uh, drive to get open shots. And I like that. I mean, I think we we've seen now, I mean, it's, um, you have to take it with a grain of salt because again, guys are injured and it's towards the end of the year. So it's always a little bit volatile. Um, but like, I mean, the idea is get the modest bonus, the ball in hot in the high post, draw out their rim protector. Um, and you know, you, you get a lot of movement going around him. And I think part of what, I mean, that's why I've said a lot more process results this year, because TJ Warren is one of the best off ball movers in the NBA and not having him makes a big difference. But I mean, Edmund Sumner really stepped up this year. You've seen a lot of guys um, all very capable of just moving in the offense. Um, So that's been really good. Um, Like just the, like there's, there's so much more going on in a set that makes it, you know, it's just a, it's a more active set instead of a static set. It's not just between two or three guys. Every single guy. I mean, there are, of course, guys who are designated to spot up. But for the most part, there's every every guy is doing something with a purpose in the offense. And that's something that, you know, I, we weren't used to seeing last year. So that was really nice. But it's almost uh, kind of cathartic because I think in some ways that's what has fed into the defense not being as good. Um, they play. I mean, they've been since Miles has been out. I think they're second in the NBA in pace just behind the Wizards. Um and a lot of times they feel like pace for the sake of pace. Like it reminds me a lot of watching spread offenses in college football when they started proliferating in like the early 2010s. Uh, they're awesome offensively. They can get to the rim. They, when they're hitting their shots, it looks great. Um, but the problem is just, they totally gas themselves out on offense. And also it's not even like just gassing themselves out, but like they'll, take and I mean they're I think they're top five in location effective field goal percentage right now for cleaning the glass last time I checked they were but they're not great at finishing at the rim I think they're like probably uh, like 20th at finishing the rim uh right around there so they miss a lot of easy stuff at the rim guys fall down and it's a four on five the other way so a lot of times when they try and get on in into a, a fast break opportunity or create something easy it can end up you know, biting them at the other end. And also, I mean, just playing that pace for an entire game, uh, where's your guys out. It's harder to play defense for that long, especially the way that they're playing defense too, which I, I, if we talk about that, like, yeah, the, um, that hasn't, hasn't helped either, but well, all in all, I would say the offense has been a lot better. Um, and I've been, I've been impressed with that. I just wish that they could have the defense defense from, uh, from last year, or at least a semblance of it. So, Given all that what's happened this season, how far, like, I, I guess for me, what's the direction that the team takes going forward is, d- does the coach remain? Uh, do they, 
are, are they still interested in trading guys like Brogdon? Because we've been talking about uh, potentially trying to get Malcolm Brogdon because we think he would fit uh, tremendously next to Zach Levine. So is he a piece that they end up moving? Is Miles Turner someone that is eventually out? Like, what does the team, where does the team go from here given this season? Because, and again, not to be repetitive with the Bulls parallel, but I feel like when we had a similar situation, we had some of those same questions pop up in terms of long-term guy or like previous core guys leaving. And that ended up being the case where uh, a- after that struggle of a season, like guys were just out like pretty quickly after that, like Noah was gone, Rose was gone. So it, it, it all happened just very quickly. So where do the Pacers go from here after this season? Yeah. Um, so I would say that I'm a lot more optimistic about where they're at right now. Uh, I think just to answer the coaching discussion first, I'm of the opinion that Nate Bjorkman should be fired as soon as the, the season ends. Um, all that stuff that came out, I don't know if you guys read the, the article from Jake Fitcher, Fisher of Bleacher Report. Um, you know, yeah, a, a yeah. lot of stuff has been thrown out saying, you know, you know, fake news and all that BS, which is just, you know, I, I can't stand that uh, in sports or in, in real life. But, um, you know, that's been corroborated by Sam Amick and Sham Sharania. Um, it's not just crap. Like, this is very real stuff. Uh, it's it, it was it's been a little bit frustrating for me because it, in, in some ways like Nate Bjorker came out and he immediately was like, you know, Oh, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a young coach. I'm learning. Um, I need to be better. I'm like, yeah, I get that. If you're a young coach and you're making mistakes on the court, I can understand that. Um, tearing into your video coordinators and team staffers who aren't even on the court um, and just treating people like crap, like, that's not something that I think you're you don't get the young coach excuse for that. In my opinion, Um, basically alienating the entire organization from him. Like, I don't see why he should be kept around and I'll actually be pretty disappointed in the organization if they do keep him around because the only reason I think they would is because they don't want to buy him out. Um, I have no idea what his contract is. I can't imagine it's too big considering he's a first time head coach. Um, but that's my opinion. I just don't think that there's any point in trying to keep that around. Um, and I, you know, that brings in a lot of questions of what do they do with bringing in a new coach? Um, I have no idea on that. They've always been linked to Mike D'Antoni, um, which I think is interesting. You know, he's a great coach and from what I know, pretty good with people too, which that that's important. Um, it's made me really question the front office in terms of why they brought in Nate Bjorkman in the first place. Uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that came out made it turn, and seem like they really didn't uh, put their best foot forward in the coaching search. Um, you know, and it's, it is what it is. I've talked about it a ton on other podcasts in my own. It's just, um, there's, there's a lot of questions there in terms of the roster. Um, I think that like, I view the, the team, if they're fully healthy, they're a second round plus team. So like they can get to the second round and see what happens. I think that's their ceiling right now. And ideally they obviously want to get to being a, a conference finals contender, because I don't think that they're ever going to quite have the guys to be a finals contender. Like I think the idea is get to the conference finals, see how well you play and maybe you can get lucky or, or have something really come together. Like I look at the nineties, nineties uh, Pacers teams that Reggie was on and um, you know, it's different. I would consider Reggie a superstar. I think uh, if you like look at just playoff stuff, I'd say he was, it's, it's always, you know, it's arbitrary, but point being like that team was nine deep, but nine guys who were all like starting caliber players. 
Um, and I think that's kind of the view for the Pacers. Like you have to, you have to try and do that. And they're, they're good at making um, shrewd moves to, to bring in guys who maybe aren't better utilized somewhere else, like a TJ Warren uh, and bringing him in to, to perform as well as he has for the Pacers. Like that's important. Um, I do think they have to make some significant moves this summer. I, uh, I was very much so of the mindset last off season that they should split up the, the Turner Sabonis pairing because I thought that they'd collected enough data to know that it's not going to work at the highest level uh, because they want to be a solid playoff team. And I just don't think that they can survive in the playoffs. Like they can be a, you know, 45 to 50 win team in, in the regular season with those two starting. But when they play, you know, Boston or they play anybody else who can go five out, they really struggle. Uh, Cause it's just, I mean, when you're six eleven and 250 pounds, it's a lot harder to get out on the perimeter and play solid defense. Um, and they looked a lot better offensively this year, granted, but the defense still just for me, I just don't think that it's going to be there. Um, so I think for me, you know, I don't, I mean, I, I love both guys. I, I haven't, uh, you know, uh, miles is awesome. Domas is both, they're both just really awesome people. I think you just trade whoever you get the most value for. I don't think it really comes down to one or the other. I, I try, I, I always think that there's a balance between fit and talent. Um, yeah, you want to always have the most talent possible, but I don't really just agree with stacking talent because like you can have some awesome talent on the roster, but if they can't all play uh, at the same time, then, you know, what are you doing? You, you, you see a little bit of a regression to the mean there. So I think there has to be like the right opportunity and, and fit. And that's why. Um, that would be the smart move. I don't think Malcolm Brogdon is going to get traded. Um, I would be very surprised. He's viewed as, uh, I mean, the, the front office really, uh, I mean, they, he, he's considered the leader of the team. Um, the front office has put a lot of stock in him, both in terms of marketing and how they view him personally and on the court. So I would personally be surprised if they move him, but, and I mean, nothing would surprise me after how this year has gone. And I do think they'll do some pretty, pretty solid reworking of the bench. There's a consolidation move to be had there for sure. I know people talk about like heat culture and how Miami's culture is so great. And I always felt like Pacers had a really good culture. Uh, they were like, I always feel like, I really do feel like they're an underrated franchise. When you look at like the past 30 years, they've consistently been able to put out really good teams without having a lot of like lottery luck, without having guys like being a free agent destination. I think obviously you had Paul George, you were able to find them with like the 11th pick. Um to kind of come back to the the culture portion that you mentioned, obviously with being locker room issues and things like that, do you think that results in some part with Larry Bird stepping down back in 2017 has kind of slowly deteriorated or is that something else that's not maybe related at all? Yeah, no, that's, uh, I think it's tough because I personally don't, I mean, I think Larry Bird was pretty hit or miss as an executive. Um, I, you know, as the team fell apart with Paul George out with injury in 14, 15, Larry Bird certainly spurred that on a little bit. I mean, he uh, kind of pinned everything on Roy Hibbert, which granted Roy Hibbert, I mean, was a shell of himself just after, you know, a year removed from almost being a defensive player of the year, um, obviously had that really rough run in the playoffs. Um, but, you know, like it, it just was kind of wild. Like the, Larry didn't make a lot of great moves in my opinion. Like after that, Paul George, excuse me, after that Paul George injury, I thought that he really didn't make a lot of great moves. Um, 
I don't know what they were expecting in 14, 15. Again, I wasn't covering the team at that time, but um, just in, you know, looking at that year, you know, I've talked to David West before and he mentioned like that, that was something that kind of turned him off from, from wanting to come back to Indiana. Cause he, if I remember correctly, he de- declined his player option at the end of that year, that year to go to San Antonio um, and take on a smaller role in, in 15, 16. Um, so point being the culture was already starting to reset then. And then Paul comes back. It's mostly a new team, you know, Thad Young's there, uh, Jeff Teague. Um, that year did not go well, uh, not based on Thad. Like it was just, there was a lot of other stuff that went on in the locker room there too. Um, but then they get to that next iteration. Miles is in, um, you know, they, they, Monte Ellis, uh, they've, they started to rework things. Of course, everything goes south with Paul. Um, and then you get that, that new team with Victor and Domas and, and Bojan comes in. And I think that team's just really different because uh, they didn't have expectations. Like that team, I think ESPN pegged them to win 34 games that year and they won 48. And part of that is because they were able to outplay a lot of their expectations. And like, you know, Victor was way better than I think anybody expected him to be. Same thing with Demonis. Um, so that team was just like fresh and they were new and they were a pretty young group and they had good veterans. Uh, and then of course, everything changed with that after 17, 18. So I think they've, they've kind of been in a culture flux for a while. Um, they haven't really been, it's not that they haven't been stable, but like there's just always some kind of change going on each year. That's, that's made things different. So I think they're, they're hoping to settle down and find that. but I would agree. Like, I think since Larry stepped down, um, they're, uh, they have been in a little bit of a flux and they're, they're looking to, to find that um, because, you know, when they, when they did hire Nate Bjorkman, they were talking about it wanting to be like a, 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 you know, not like just a two or three year thing. Like they wanted it to be a continuous partnership for a long time. And I, again, I don't think that's going to happen, but their, their goal is like, they want that. They want to be a team like, like looking at the Spurs that has a consistent partnership between the GM um, or I should just say front office and, and coaching staff for, you know, a decade, because that's how you build something consistent when you're in a smaller market. So let me ask you this. We, we've talked about a lot of players. You, you talked about a lot of players who have been pretty good for the Pacers over the years. We talked about Paul George, Victor Oladipo. Uh, Karis LeVert has been impressing really well. Demonte Sabonis is currently the next in that line where he has been just getting better and better each year, averaging about what, 20 points, 12 rebounds, close to seven assists this season as a 24 year old, already a two time all-star, which is really impressive. So he, he seems to be the face of the team going forward. So we were talking about, you know, who you would move and he's probably the Pacers best asset, but it would be so hard to move a talent like Sabonis at this point. So I guess my question to you is how good is Sabonis right now? And how, how much better do you think he can get? Like, do you think he can be a top 15 ish type player where you mentioned like a, like a Reggie Miller in terms of like impact, I guess. And Reggie Miller was a really great player. And if he didn't run in the Jordan, he might've 
uh, won yeah. championships. Yeah, man, uh, that's just about everybody. Gosh, yeah, I'm so I'm actually like not the not the completely shift, but I'm like a big Sonics fan. Like I love watching the '90s Sonics teams. Like I think the most jerseys I have are I have like a bunch of Ray Allen and uh, and, and Gary Payton jerseys. Nice. I will say the last dance Gary Payton erasure was un, un uncool to me, man. Gary was awesome, um, but. Nah. Yeah, in looking at Domas, uh, I really appreciate you bringing that up because I think there's this idea um, that Domas is just like, he is what he is. Like, he's not going to be any better. Like, he got a lot better this year. Um, He improved his floor vision even more, I should say. He improved his handle a little bit, which allowed him to take better control of his floor vision. Um, Like, he's just a good player. Like, I, I think that's the biggest thing for me. I would say like, it's a lot harder for like, even in just do, starting my draft work now, like it's a lot harder to find ways to build a team around Domas, but at the same time, like he's just so good right now. And I think I would say he's probably a like a top 30 player right around there. Um, I think he was a deserving all-star this year. Uh, I would agree with last year. I know a lot of people don't, but I also just think maybe they're not looking at it quite right. Like, there's this idea that just because he, I think he's third in the NBA in touches right around there right now, um, that he's a ball hog, but really he's not a score first guy, even though he's averaging like 21 points per game. He's always looking to try and set somebody else up. Um, he does have times where he can get like a little bit too, uh, too dribble happy in the post, but it's mostly because there isn't movement going on around him. Um and I think that's the next thing for him. Like, he's not like, like I just mentioned, he's not a score first guy. He doesn't really have a go-to move. He's been trying to work on stuff this year. Like he's tried a lot of the Dirk fadeaway, um, which he went to it early in the season and it looked okay. And then it sort of faded and he, he didn't try it for like 25 games the last 10 or so. He's really been trying to work that in again. Um, and it's looked a little bit better. He's had a really rough year this year from, from anywhere outside 10 feet. Uh, even though he shot the three better, uh, he was like a 48% shooter from mid range last year uh, from, I think 16 to 24. Uh, and that just kind of hasn't been there this year. A lot of it's been, you know, he's been trying to drive to the rim more, but I think I would say the biggest thing for him is figuring out his face up game a little bit more because he does have the ability. Like it's hard. Cause he's not a, he's not a vertical athlete like whatsoever. Um, he's a really good post player, but once somebody, uh, is able to to hone in on his hand like he still isn't great with his offhand um, and he's worked on that this year but it's still not quite there um, so finding his own individual scoring more uh, will be huge for him because right now it's just like when he plays against like Rudy Gobert or Joel Embiid or some of the best for protectors in the NBA he just isn't isn't there as a scorer so I think that's the next step for him but I, I think I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he makes an all NBA team someday. Like, I think he's that good and I think he will be. And I just, I don't, I try not to put a cap on what guys are and what they can be. Um, so it's been a little bit odd that people have with Domas, but I, I, like you said about him being the team's best asset, like he is. So if a team were willing to to make a move that would make sense for the Pacers, I think that they would do it, but I, I still think it's pretty unlikely. Um, but yeah, he's a, He's, he's really damn good. And he's improved a ton this year. And I think, sorry, I'm going on and on again, but like with the, the defense is the one thing that I think people get really hung up on with him. Uh, the metrics are terrible. Um, I won't lie about that. Uh, the on-offs aren't great either, but I also think on-offs are, you know, they're pretty noisy. So you have to be careful with using them to evaluate a guy. 
Um, he's been put in a terrible position this year as a defensive player. He's been asked to blitz pick and rolls pretty consistently. Uh, it's felt a lot like what Wendell was having to do last year. Um, and as good of a defensive player as Wendell is like, that was just like, why are you asking a guy who is a good rim protector who can defend pick and rolls to run out and blitz like all like, you know, 50% of the time it's ridiculous. It just doesn't make sense. Um, I've understood to an extent why they do that with Domas, but a lot of it is just, there's no help side rotations on the back end. Like the team just is terrible in help defense to be completely frank. Um, so a lot of times he won't even necessarily mess up. It's just the scheme breaking down and it looks like it's on him. Um, but it's because they have to play a much harder branded defense, or at least they have forced themselves to play a much harder branded defense with him out there. Um, so I think the pendulum has swung a little bit too much on where he's at as a defender. I think last year he was probably like a C minus to C level defender. Um, just given that he doesn't have much of a wingspan, he's not a vertical athlete. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, he's, he's got a lot of potential still, even, even considering what he's doing right now. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because like EPM has him as, has him as a good defender, obviously, but it's, it varies stat to stat and defense is obviously not a, the best measuring stick as far as um, Mm -hmm. any advanced stats out there. There's nothing out there that can really, you know, tell you how good a defender someone is. You have to watch uh, game tape over and over and see obviously how they play uh, and, and rotation, getting to their rotations, especially in the scheme, if they're doing what their job is, like you mentioned with uh, Wendell here, when there was a lot of people would, you know, this season in particular would be mad at Wendell for, you know, getting, giving up certain points to certain guys. And it's like, well, he's doing what he's supposed to do. It's not about him when this guy is scoring. It's because the rotations are not coming up where they're supposed to on help side and stuff like that. But yeah, that's, that's interesting. As far as you mentioned with, with uh, Sabonis, as far as his potential, he's still very young. So I, I would be surprised if the Pacers trade him, but yeah, I guess you never know what route they go to. If they go to like a full rebuild, it might make sense. I, I suppose now to, to kind of tie in the Pacers to the bulls where you, you mentioned it's hard to, build around Turner and Sabonis the Bulls had a kind of similar situation obviously not as good but with Larry Markin and Wendell Carter coming into this season they tried to build around like two bigs and you had obviously guys like Zach Levine Kobe White um they bought it obviously drafted Pat Williams and it was kind of a evaluation season uh for the, the new general manager or exactly so I should say a VP and the general manager to see what the Bulls had going into season. Like, what was your view when the season started for the Bulls on their roster? And how, how did you see some of the pieces fitting together at that time? Yeah, I think uh, I think when the year started, I want to say that I picked the Bulls to finish ninth, uh, either ninth or tenth. So I haven't um, I haven't been super surprised with where they've finished this year. Um Again, I mean, the trade deadline was surprising to me. I know we were going to hit on that later, so I won't divulge too much there. Um, but I think I would say Zach really changed my opinion this year, given what he was doing. Like, he was just 
Um, he probably won't make all NBA this year, unfortunately, just because of, uh, you know, his numbers tailed off a little bit since the trade deadline and missing a bunch of games due to health and safety protocol. Um, but he was having a historic, uh, just shooting season in general. He improved on his passing reads. He was a better defender this year, probably still like a negative defender on aggregate, but like he went from being one of probably the five worst perimeter defenders in the NBA last year to being close to average this year. And that was a massive jump. Um, I mean, Thad Young's maybe my favorite active player in the NBA. So I love watching him. Um, but again, it's just like, I think you look at this roster and without, uh, without being too harsh, uh, I just don't know what Lowry marketing is in the NBA, uh, other than maybe a bench score. Um, because he just can't do anything defensively to be completely honest. Uh, he's not a rim protector. I don't think he's ever going to be a rim protector. He can't move his feet on the perimeter and he's not a high, uh, a high defensive IQ player. Um, a lot of Wendell's quote unquote mistakes this year, because Lowry can't do anything on the defensive end. Um, and even his offense just really comes and goes. And, and like when it is there, it's, it's nice, but he's bleeding so much on the other side. I just, I don't really know what to make of it. I mean, I've probably only seen 20, 20 to 25 bowls games this year. So that's, that's just my read on it, but I've kind of been of that regard for the last two years on Lowry, uh, especially last year as he tailed off a lot and struggled with his efficiency. Um, I just don't really know what's there. It really feels to me like he's going to be gone after this year. And that's probably for the best for the bulls. Um, but like, I mean, watching him try and play small forward this year was like mind blowing to me. I remember <laughs> when I first saw that that lineup was going out and it was like it went one one hand like, OK, I get it. Uh, Billy Donovan has to do what he can with the roster he's given. But at the same time, like, Jesus, they're almost better just running Javante Green out there than playing Lowry Markkinen. Um, and again, that's not like I don't I don't feel like I think there's still a place for him in the NBA but not on the bulls. Like, I just don't think that given how the roster is constructed and two of the, the best players on the roster are not necessarily like they can be neutral defenders, but they're context dependent defenders. Like having Lowry on the team just is, is not, they're not going to work. Um, so I think that's where I'm at right now uh, on the team. Like I, I still, like, I feel really positive about where they're headed. I know this year has not ended um, how they wanted it to. And I'm sure how you guys wanted it to either. Uh, but I think next year, like this, this feels very much to me, like watching a Pacers team and thinking like everybody's a lot of analysts are going to pick them next year to finish like in the playing range. But I wouldn't be shocked if they're like a five seed next year. Like, I think that they'll uh, AK and Mark Eversley are going to be pretty aggressive in the off season. They were really aggressive at the trade deadline. Um, I would be pretty shocked if they don't try and, and go all in again in the off season uh, and rework things to be even better next year. Yeah, I think that's what we ended up figuring out about Lowry is that, and I said this a while back, but I feel like his archetype of player would have fit really well, maybe like eight, nine, ten years ago when yeah. stretch bigs were kind of a trend at that point. And a lot of teams were still trotting out those big lineups, but Lowry just hasn't he hasn't progressed as a player. He's kind of regressed. His rebounding has gotten worse. He hasn't made any progress as a defender. So the value that he brings on the court as an offensive player 
is negated pretty quickly and very easily. So it's his time in Chicago is likely done. Uh, like you said, he could probably be a a fine reserve player. He may even be a starter on some teams if they yeah. can hide his uh, weaknesses better than the Bulls can. So it, it really depends on that. But one of the things that was a bright spot for this team, and, and we hinted at it earlier, was the trade deadline and the Bulls making a move to acquire Nikola Vucevic, which really came out of uh, it, it really came out of like nowhere because a, a lot of us we were just talking about Lonzo Ball and we were talking about uh, other players like that. So uh, and and it wasn't really clear that Vooch was available, but Vooch is now a bull and he's been fantastic. Uh, it, it's been bittersweet though because, as you mentioned, Zach Levine has been out and he missed so much time, and the Bulls have kind of been trying to fit all these new pieces together at once so it, it hasn't worked well they've also played a tough schedule so I mean there's a lot of contributing factors but Vucevic has been as advertised and he's still an all-star level big man he can play inside out underrated passer so what do you think about the move the Bulls made for Vooch do you think that they kind of jumped the gun in value to make a move for a player to that doesn't necessarily make them a clear cut like contender or something, or do you think this is the type of move that you need to really kind of jumpstart this thing, especially when you have Zach Levine playing at the level he has? So what were, what were your thoughts about the direction they took after acquiring him? Yeah. Um, so I think it's going to be really funny when everyone pans this move uh, at, in you know, end of year uh, grading for the trade deadline. Cause I'm sure they will. Um, I think that it was, a really, really good move. Um, I know giving up, I think it was what, two firsts? Um, giving up two firsts is not yeah, easy. Two firsts, well, two firsts and their top were protected. Yeah. Um, so I was, I mean, personally, like I understand the importance of draft picks. Drafting is essential to building a team. But at some point, you have to say, we haven't been to the playoffs in six years. We got our ass was handed to us. Sorry, I should have asked if I'm allowed to swear first. Uh, we got totally obliterated in that series. Um, You're good. And yeah, the, the, <laughs> the three alphas team. What a, what a time. Um, you know, like at some point you have to realize, okay, we're not, we, what are we building towards? Like I, I, you want to be a contender. I think every team wants to be a contender in its own right. But like, you can't just go from being a, a 28 win team to, to contention overnight. Um, getting an all-star level player in Vuch who's still in his prime right now. I mean, I like, yes, those two first round picks are important, but Nikola Vucevic, the all-star means more for the bulls the next two or three years than, than a first round pick is going to mean, in my opinion, unless you get somebody like Kate Cunningham, but like the odds of the bulls getting that guy is like pretty, pretty null and void. Um, so I think you look at this, like, I, I mean, there were already signs like Zach and Vooch together there. That two man game is going to be awesome. Like watching them just take teams apart and side pick and roll is already beautiful because you can destroy them and pick and pop. If you really want, you can do a lot of triangle action with Vooch on the side because he's such a good passer and he commands a lot of gravity. Um, so I think it was just a smart move. And I have, I have no problem with it. And I would do it again, even knowing how this year went out, because if you can get a player of that caliber, I think it's worth doing. Um, and especially too, he's going to be, I mean, I think he's, uh, his deal goes for another two, three years. So 
uh, knowing that you're going to have him alongside Zach. Like Zach just played so well this year that I think you either had to a trade him, which I wouldn't because who are like, again, with the draft picks, like, I think there's this idea thrown out that, you know, Zach's not going to be a title title contending teams, best player. And I'm like, I don't care. Like you have to be a good team before you can be a great team. And I think Zach played well enough this year to know he can be the best player on a, on a real, on a pretty good team. Um, so you have to be, I mean, AK Mark Eversley clearly decided they want to go in on that. And I, I think that they made the right move for sure. One big, Oh, oh sorry. I read Did you have some, Oh, no, I, I was just going to add that. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on with that. And the like, like you said, draft picks are important. But if you finish with, let's say, if you end up getting the ninth pick overall or the 10th pick, I, I don't know. The chances that that player makes a difference in the next three years is just so small that yeah, like it, it, this was a this was a good risk. Like I, I think you, I think you're right that whatever direction you're taking, you have to stick your neck out somehow. And the Bulls finally said, "Look, we haven't been winning. Let's take this chance to get this prime All Star big." So I, I, I agree with your take. Exactly. Like as as Big Daddy Kane said, "Ain't no half stepping," and that's how yes. it is in the NBA. <laughs> like you can't. I, I'm I I don't like watching teams continually just uh, like trying. Like there are teams that can make it work, like continually drafting later round, but like that wasn't working for this team. Um, and you have to you have to go in at some point, and I think that they made the right move. A Big Daddy Kane reference. I love Edward. it. Edward I love is the big excited, man. Yes. <laughs> uh, so a, a, a big point of contention for the Bulls has kind of been point guard. Mm -hmm. uh, Kobe White was maybe unfairly thrusted in a role that really he wasn't ready for coming into the season. They tried to ask him to be that lead initiator. Uh, and obviously we saw him struggle through it. He did better than I think maybe a little bit better than given credit for at times. But he he did kind of struggle in a sense where he, he didn't know how to balance, you know, getting his to setting up the offense. And a lot of times he would probably miss guys on reads that I don't know if had anything necessarily to do with being a point guard necessarily, but more so just looking to uh, not only just not getting tunnel vision in a sense. So what, what have you seen from him as the season's gone on from the beginning of the season to now? And what do you see as far as his fit with Vucevic? and Zach Levine. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's like you mentioned, like Kobe's, it, I haven't really been sure what to take from him this season in some regards, because I, uh, you know, I thought he, he kind of struggled a lot this year. Uh, the defense is still rough, like very rough. Um, it's not like he's not trying. He just, the it's, he's just not there. Uh, but in terms of his passing, like I've been a little bit impressed uh, recently. Like I know he's been start starting now, but what I, I kind of would really like to see is the coaching staff just put him in a consistent position and say, you're going to be the first guy off the bench. We need you to run bench units and get your own from there, but you got to find it. And I think that's where I've been a little bit confused with what they, with how they envision him, because I personally just like, I think it's going to be really tough to have a starting backcourt of Kobe White and Zach Levine. Uh, Cause I think Zach next to a, a plus defender works in a backcourt. 
Zach and Kobe together, both playmaking wise and uh, and defensively is just a no go as far as I'm concerned. I mean, like I've been impressed with Kobe because I mean, he can hit he can hit his pull up threes. He can do a lot. Um, he's improved at, on his reads. I still think it's like not quite there, but he like I was watching a game a week or two ago and he had like a really nice wraparound kickout pass. I'm like, OK, he's finding some things like I think his playmaking has improved. And he was asked to do a little bit too much at the beginning of the year. But like when you have somebody like Nikola Vucevic, who's able to grease the wheels a little bit, um, I think that makes it easier on him. Like I'd really like to see something personally where maybe they do kind of like the jazz do with Rudy Gobert and Mike Conley. Like uh, instead of starting Kobe, like maybe you pull Vooch out within like the first four or five minutes or something, or you take Zach out within the first four or five minutes and bring Kobe in to run with Vooch. Because I think Kobe and Vooch is like almost the more important natural pairing than than Levine and Vooch because I think Kobe needs him a little bit more to do playmaking. Um, but overall, like I, I think some of the stuff's gone a little bit too far with Kobe. Also shout out to that dunk he had. Was that yesterday or the day before? Yes. Just like the absurd wingspan dunk. I, I was like, Kobe is like a almost negative wingspan guy. So for him to pull that out, I was like, Oh wow. Okay. I did not know Kobe boy could do that. But uh, I mean, I don't know what your opinions are of Kobe, but I've been uh, like, I, I like, I can see how he fits into this team moving forward, but it just like where he's at right now this year, I don't think it's quite there. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just saying, yeah, I've been, I've been a little harsh on him this season, I think at times, but yeah, he's, he's one of those guys like, Oh, he's 21 years old. And again, coming into the season, he was kind of maybe unfairly asked to do take on a role that he really wasn't, not only said ready for, but like he really doesn't have that skill set to be that type of player. And like you mentioned, when when Vooch got here, we started running our offense more through Vucevic, and obviously we have Thad as well that we Thadier run Johnson, our offense. Yes. Yeah, Thadier, Thadier Johnson, man, he he's been uh, a revelation as far as a playmaker. That we were running our offense with him as well, and that kind of freed Kobe up with his responsibility to play off the ball more. I think we did see improvement on defense from him too. I think that was one of my biggest issues with him defensively this season. He would get caught up on like on every single screen with minimal effort to fight through him. Um, and that was like my most annoying concern, biggest concern with him and Zach, because obviously Zach did make improvements. Like to your point, he went from maybe a bottom five defender to just below average um his on the ball defense was always not it was not really too big of a concern but his off ball defense a lot of times he would get a lost ball watching and just a lot of time you know get um abused on like backdoor cuts and, and things mm-hmm. like that but yeah him and zach pairing is probably like i said not the most ideal just because neither of them are really still that strong point of attack defensively especially in the pick and roll so that was my concern with the them defensively still is and going into as the season has progressed on with Kobe, I've seen some improvements there, but I guess in the long run, I still wonder with those three together uh, being Booch, Zach and Kobe, none of them are really like strong defenders, if you will. So you have to wonder how that will fit together. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think also just for for me, I, I didn't have an issue with them throwing Kobe into the deep end, so to speak, with the lead playmaker role, because we entered this season 
with the idea of not leaving any stone unturned. So I, I think it was worth it just to make sure that there there wasn't any like upside, uh, just to see if there was upside in the role that Kobe could possibly have as a playmaker. And we found found out that okay, he's not. That's not really his game. Like we know for sure, that's not his game. So we know he's a catch and shoot guy. We know he's somebody who you want to get a bunch of threes to in that mode. And we know that he's still a player that we need to see uh, better defense from, especially at the point of attack. So I, I think it was fine in that sense, but it, it really is going to be interesting to see how they pair going forward. Because as Celine mentioned, if you're three top players are not great defenders, though, I guess maybe that could change depending on Patrick Williams development, but that's, that's definitely a tough thing to do. And you still, when you put Kobe at the one and Zach at the two, you still don't have that that lead playmaker. And really the only position you can get it from if you're playing in a lineup with Kobe, uh, Zach, uh, Patrick Williams, and Vooch is at the three. So you almost need like a point four. You almost need like a Jimmy Butler type of, of player or like a like a Paul George. Or like you basically need like a superstar point forward to make that work where they can be the lead playmaker. Zach can be the secondary guy. Vooch can be the uh, tertiary guy. And then Kobe is just kind of getting his spots as the fourth guy. So it, it's going to be interesting to see going forward. But it for me, like even last year, I, I definitely had some questions about the redundancy, even though when they're both scoring together, like when it's just one of those nights, it's really fun. <laughs> so like, these last like few weeks have been good for that pairing, but yeah, I, I agree with Salim here on just the downside and the skepticism about it. Yeah, I think so. Not to, not the hijack, but I think the one thing that I would add to uh, the only real downside to the trade deadline for me has been Patrick Williams, um, like him really taking a a, a, a back role to to the offense, and it's been a little bit better recently. But he had that stretch where he just was not was not shooting. Uh, that has been a little bit uh, disparaging to me. Like, I, I don't like that because I really, I mean, what we saw from, from Pat at the beginning of the year was fantastic. And he really seemed to be finding himself offensively and, and testing some things. Um, I want more of that from him because I think, I mean, like you just mentioned, Ed, like he's going to be, like from what I saw this year, he's going to be so good. Like I, I really like what he brings. He already has the mid range game figured out to an extent um, defense. Like I think the defense for him is already like solid considering he's a rookie, like what he's brought there has been really nice, um, but certainly profiles a lot more as a four than a three. Uh, and I mean, he's, he's shown passing chops too. Like you just see like a lot of playmaking up and down the roster that, that, that is nice. Um, but that, yeah, that's been like the only thing for me that I was like, just kind of like, oh, damn, I really wanted that to kind of not happen, uh, after the trade deadline. Also Denzel getting more playing time. I did not really want to happen after the trade deadline, but you know, it <laughs> Denzel, no, no one outside of, I think our, our designated C red, uh, leader, C red Fred. Yeah. I always, uh, he's the Denzel guy. Yeah. You know. He's, he's the only one that wants to see Denzel play. And, and I mean, are, you, Bulls are you saying that, uh, are you saying he didn't earn those minutes when he dropped the mixtape? I think that, I think <laughs> no, that the, the permanent role in the, the mixtape, the permanent role in the bench, man. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. He, he's definitely not 
he definitely does not uh, match up to Big Daddy Kane. Though, so that's what I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so kind of getting into the Bulls, what they can do in the off season. Obviously, you have we we've mentioned Zach. Obviously, he's he's a star. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've mentioned Vooch, another star. Kobe uh, is developing. Pat, someone that we really like, has a lot of untapped potential, but he's 19, so he probably has two, three years before he maybe even reaches that uh, potential. And then you have some of the little pieces that I like. T- uh, uh, Troy Brown Jr., the guy they got in yep. the deadline trade. Uh, I like Thies. Uh, I'll be interested to see if they can keep him. Uh, I like um, obviously Thad has been uh, amazing as far as a veteran leader. Sato has been, I, I've liked Sato, but it's it's kind of been a situation where you also have asked, asked him to do more than he's should be doing. Mm-hmm. So going into this offseason, how do you think the Bulls should approach it or AK should approach it? Do you think that they should operate as maybe like an over the cap team or try to see if they can clear cap space and, and go around about that to address some of the needs that they have? Uh, I think my answer would be trying to do whatever they can to get a three. They need a three, four, somebody who can really be in there consistently. Cause right now, just the way that the roster is built, it's a lot of fours and bigs and a lot of combo guards. So uh, like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful that Troy Brown can take a step because I really liked that move to get him, even though like as, as good as Gafford has been in Washington, part of that's just because, um, you know, it's a good opportunity and fit for him. And I'm hopeful that Troy Brown will, will actually work out in Chicago because he's had some nice moments. Um, I think, yeah, my, my biggest thing is just getting a getting a three. And I don't know if that happens in free agency or by trade, um, probably some conglomeration of both. Uh, but that's that's where I'd really like to see things change. They they need a three, and they also need somebody who's either like either they commit to Kobe running the or trying to run the one, which I don't think they should do. Uh, but getting a starting level point guard isn't easy. Like it would be really cool to see them go after Kyle Lowry. I know he's had a lot of ties to Miami, but like maybe you get Kyle Lowry on a two year deal just to see what he can do with Chicago. I know he's a little bit older now, but at the same time, I I think it would be well worth it. Um, I, I don't have like, uh, I mean, I could pull up Spo track right now, but I think that would be my answer to what I'd want to see happen just because I think they should be operating as a team that's trying to win now. And they have been, um, what would you guys personally be looking at? Uh, yeah, I, I think they have to make uh, moves like to, to try to win. Definitely next season, they can't go into as, another like rebuild question mark type of season, they have to add pieces. And I think to your point, adding a three is very important. And I guess the question is to them, I personally view Pat as a four. I think that's been one big adjustment for him this season. He's played the three a lot. And especially offensively, we, we wonder, you know, he needs to be get more aggressive, but at the same time, it's like we were asking him to defend the best players night in and night out like the for example he was defending Kawhi all game uh, he's been defending like Devin Booker all game that's a lot to ask and then ask him to also then hey we need you to get a little more aggressive offensively that's that's tough for anyone uh you know prime LeBron <laughs> would yeah. would be like uh, like 
okay, that's that's a tough ask. Uh, but asking a, a rookie, a 19-year-old kill that's kid that's still developing to do that, it, it, it's it's problematic. And I guess I and there's not been a real clear answer as far as Pat's concerned, what the Bulls view him as. Because they've played him at the three all season. So that's my pro- my question mark for them. And a little bit of a concern. I'm, I'm hoping they see him as a four and they want to get a three this offseason to get him in his natural position so then his develop and development can continue properly. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah, for me, I think it's... This offseason is going to be challenging because not only do they have a clear need at the one and the three, but this class isn't very strong. And even though a guy like Lonzo Ball would help, even though Kyle Lowry could help, uh, it's going to be tough competition getting those guys. And you're going to have to invest a lot of money, especially in Lonzo Ball. I mean, you have to invest 20, possibly 20, 21 million. I don't know, but uh, it, I don't know. It, it's tough. And then at the same time, I go back and forth with some granted. I, I haven't looked at the, uh, the uh, salary cap to know if it's even possible, but I, I think a lot of fans are looking at it. Like, can we fill a need while also keeping productive vets like that, like Tice, is that possible? And I think, I think you could make a case that losing a guy like uh, that or Tice, it, it could definitely make the team worse, especially if the point guard doesn't transition to the team well. So, I mean, there's a lot of different questions with the moving parts, but I think the bottom line is that you would love to get a guy who you can, can you who you can view as a core part of his team going forward, who can not only help you win now, but can grow with a guy like Zach and Booch over the next three or four years. So it's it's going to be a tough offseason. I think this will tell us a lot about uh, AK and Eversley in terms of that. So, uh, like, for me, I'm, I'm just sitting back and watching and seeing what the approach ends up being. Yeah, and I would agree on Thad, too, because I thought, I mean, not, not to be biased, but I thought he, I mean, even, it, so if you take across the entire year, because obviously Vooch has been the second best player since getting here, but, I mean, Thad was probably the second best player on on balance for the entire year for the Bulls. Uh, losing him would be pretty big, uh, but it's also tough because he's probably the most tradable contract. He's going to be expiring next year. Um, if I remember correctly, he's either expiring next year or the year after. But regardless, I know teams were like all over trying to bring in Thad um, this year. And I was very, you know, happy that the Bulls didn't trade him because I didn't. It, it just wouldn't have made sense because they were trying to win this year. So why would you trade a guy who's helping you win? Um, yeah, he will be expiring next year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just looking at the cap right now. I think they're going to have roughly... 20 ish million dollars to work with, which isn't like a ton, but um, I mean, like Mike Conley's a free agent again, he's kind of older, but I do think that there are ways to make things happen this offseason. I'm, I'm interested in what they do. And the Pacers should just give the Bulls TJ Warren. No, you know, will, I'm, I'm not sure I'm quite there. Things, I, things although, will work out. <laughs> I would love to see TJ play with that team. That would actually be really fun. I just like watching good basketball, man. I don't really try and be a fan of anything, but uh, yeah, good basketball is what I'm about. But if, you know, I'll be covering the team next year. I would like TJ Warren to stay on the team because I like watching him play every night. Um, but hey, man, whatever, whatever, whatever's best for the call here is what I'm here for. No, for sure. I, that, that's what me and Edward at that point, like, 
you just get tired of watching like crappy basketball at over year over yep. year over year. It's like there at some point you gotta you gotta have the arrow pointing up and I'd rather be I'd rather be that fourth, fifth seed and you continuously growing and trying to find pieces and maybe eventually, you know, you'll strike when the iron is hot. But yeah. I don't I don't I don't like this whole tanking nonsense and always trying to be a team that's trying to, you know, get super lucky uh and, and get the lot first pick in the lottery every single year. Yeah, exactly. I've I've just been like granted, I, I will never say that tanking is not a valid way to build a really good team. It, you can build a really good team in a number of ways, but like as a fan who just wants to see entertaining and good basketball, I would be fine with a perennial four or five or six seed. Like, like you were saying earlier, you have to become a good team before you can become a great team. And I think there, I think there is a lot of value in being a good team. I think there's a lot of value in just being an average team. Like as long as the arrow is pointing up in some sort of way, I think there's a way to continue to improve. So I think the Bulls have made a, a good direction to see if that arrow can point up by getting Vooch and by getting some more vests like Tice. And hopefully in the offseason, they can continue on that momentum. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yep, definitely. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's a pleasure. I've, I've followed you for, I think, a little, maybe a year now. And uh, you do some great work. Uh, I know you keep grinding. Uh, Please let our listeners know where they can follow you and any work that you've been working on and to that we can look out, look out for. Well, first of all, thank you guys for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. I've always enjoyed interacting with you, Slim, and I'd have to follow you on Twitter. I, I guess I, I don't know if I do right now. I don't think I have because I don't think we've. Uh, I got okay. to follow before you coming, man. <laughs> awesome, man. I appreciate it. Well, yeah, no, this has been a, it's been a really good time. Um, you can find me at M Schindler NBA on Twitter. Uh, most of my work goes up there and you, I mean, all my work goes up there and you'll see it. I do a lot of work over at any cornrows, uh, with pretty much a daily podcast. Um, I do some writing over there as well. Uh, a lot of my stuff goes up at premiumhoops.org, which is a site that I co-created with a couple other guys who cover the league at large. We've been doing some good stuff over there as well. Um, and the next thing I've coming out, I did, a. A profile on uh, on Darius Baisley a couple days ago that came out earlier this week. Um, that was if you have ten minutes to kill and want to know what the hell's been going on in Oklahoma City. Um, that's a good read, I think. And uh, I have a scouting report on Scotty Barnes and his potential fit with the Pacers coming out either today or tomorrow. So that'll that'll be up on any cornrows. Excellent. Yeah, if you're if you're a basketball junkie, and I'm assuming if you're listening to us, you are. So definitely follow Mark, check out all his uh, work. And next time we have him on, maybe we'll get into someone's bad food takes. So but, but <laughs> oh, we'll, man. we'll leave that to, uh, we'll leave that to another episode. Uh, Edward, Edward, how was, uh, about you? Any final words or thoughts? No, nah, thank you. to Thank you to Mark uh, for breaking down the paces and the bulls. Really, really good conversation there. And uh, yeah, I, I'm the end of the season is tomorrow. Um, yeah, the last game is tomorrow, right? So yeah, yeah. So uh, like I said, I'm just interested to see how the off season goes. I'm looking to see how uh, if we get anything from like the exit press conferences, and of course we have the uh, draft lottery to look forward to as well, where we'll see how many Bulls fans are uh, you know taking their hair out when the Bulls get the 
eighth or ninth pick and we miss out on Corey Kispert. So I don't know, but, <laughs> but uh, I'm only joking, but uh, yeah, it, it should be interesting to see how the uh, off season goes. And once again, thank you to Mark for uh, joining us for this, uh, this show. hundred uh, percent. So yeah, that's a wrap for today's show. Don't forget to tune in every Tuesday morning at AM central on dash radios, nothing but net radio station. If you miss, missed any previous episodes, you can find us on all major and minor podcast platforms. And please subscribe and rate us a five on Apple Podcasts. Thank you again to Mark Schindler for joining us. And to the listeners, thank you as well for tuning in. As always, for Edward Schuler and myself. Till next time, Bulls fans. <laughs>